and welcome to this month's episode of Money Mountaineering with Peter Newworth. He is interviewing amazing Margarita Chang, CFP Pro, and we have talked so much with Margarita for her show, Margaritas with Margarita Chang. And I know we're just going to jump right in to talk about the journey to becoming a financial planner, Rita's newest book, Diary of a CFP Pro, and so much more. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Pete. Take it away. Well, thanks so much, Hope. And boy, I tell you, this is a a real thrill because I met Rita many it's now a few years ago when we both were working um, on the uh, task force, which is now the Academy for Home Equity at the University of Illinois. And Rita was kind enough to have me on her podcast way back when, when I came, was a, you know, came out with my, my book. And now I get to return the favor and have Rita on my podcast. And Rita, thank you so much for taking time out to be here. And I want to just start off by saying congratulations on your new book, Diary of a CFP Pro. And I was really excited to read it. And can you tell us all about it and what it's about? why you wrote it, what it's for, and who it, who who's going to get what out of it. Well, first, thank you so much for inviting me, Pete. It is a pleasure to be here. So Diary CFP Pro, I think a lot of people actually do not know what a financial planner does. In fact, my daughter said this to me, Mom, I think I want to follow you around with my iPhone and just film you because I want people to see what a day in the life of a planner is. But jokes aside, in all seriousness, I think Diary of a CFP Pro is the opportunity to share with others uh, how a CFP Pro can help clients through the many um, financial decision, decisions and transitions in life. Well, let's start with what is a CFP and what what do you do for people? That's a great question. So I so a cert- CFP stands for Certified Financial Planner also known as Certified Financial Planner Professional or Certified Financial Planner Practitioner, I like to say CFP Pro. So I am a Certified Financial Planner. And essentially what a Certified Financial Planner does is help clients uh, meet their life goals through financial advice that incorporates the relevant personal and financial circumstances. So so you, you not only help them with their money, but what to do with their money and how to how to manage their money. I mean, it sounds like it's pretty holistic in its in its scope. It absolutely is. So the first thing we start with is getting to understand the clients. This is just not just spreadsheets, but it's the quantitative and the qualitative. Then we get into goals. It's not just about identifying, but clarifying and prioritizing goals. Then we uh, level set, take a snapshot of where they are today. And we can see based on where they are, how if they do not take any action, what would be the consequences? Then after that, uh, based on their feedback, uh, propose options, implement the options, review, and then it starts all over again. So it's a process. So is that a is that a kind of a a, a, bro- a process that you go through with everybody, or do some people come with a specific problem? I mean, where do you get involved? I mean, ha- at what point does somebody 
hire a CFP? So I know this can be a little bit self-serving because I am a certified financial planner, but I do believe everybody can benefit from financial planning. Now, if you're like my daughter, who is 15 years old, today she's 18, but she's 15 years old, she may not need a full comprehensive financial plan, but she can benefit from financial planning advice. And then at the other end of the spectrum, um, you know, retirees who, um, you know, are in retirement, one would say, well, why do you need to plan? You're already retired. But there's tax planning, there's charitable giving, there's estate planning. So financial planning is truly for everyone. What level planning you do is determined by your situation. What I've heard is, I mean, we talk about it in the pension world. If you've seen one, if you've seen one pension plan, you've seen one pension plan. Would be this would, would that, that be the case with financial plans as well? If you've seen one financial plan, you've seen one financial plan and everybody is different? I don't think everyone is different. There are some universal themes. We all oh. want to send our kids to college. We all want to be able to uh, experience financial dignity in retirement. However, money means different things to different people. And that's why you could have two, I'm from Generation X, you could have two extra families, two kids, three kids. They all want to send their kids to college, but this is where it gets a little bit different. What does that mean? Private or public? How much are you going to pay? Are you going to pay for undergrad? Are you going to pay for grad school? Um, are you going to give your kid a car? Like, are you going to support their extracurricular activities? This is just school retirement. Um, what does that look like to you? So it is true. There are some universal themes, but everybody's plan is unique. Well, I, I noticed that uh, the, your book is organized as a diary. You kind of go month by month, different subjects in each month. Can you talk a little bit about how you choose, you know, is it, are these the 12 most important or I guess, actually it's 11 because I guess you start with an introduction, but are these the 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 most important aspects, and you you just sort of picked up that, or is there some rhyme? I mean, what what was the logic to to the to the calendar? Well, there are twelve months, and we pick themes. So we think about January. January is introduction. It's goal setting. I am lucky because we also celebrate the Lunar New Year. So if you didn't quite start your goals in January, guess what? You can start in February. Then February is Valentine's Day, and Valentine's Day when you plan, you're demonstrating your love. Now, I want to be clear. If you don't plan, it doesn't mean you don't love your family. By taking that extra step to plan, though, that is a, a sign of love and care. And then I thought, okay, and then we're going into March, which is Women's History, and then April's Financial Literacy and Taxes, May, Celebrate Our Mothers, June, Dads and Grads, July, Independence Day, and then the cycle continues. So I thought that by having a calendar and theme-based, it could make personal finance more accessible and relatable. Well, and, and more interesting, too. I really love the way you set it out. And I did notice... I had to notice that that the the subtitle, I don't know if I can read it, the subtitle is a year of tips to help women flex their financial muscles. Is this is this book specifically for women, largely for women? I mean, how how does that all factor in? Well, I do think that the advice I'm giving, of course, men, anybody can benefit from this, but I had a particular focus on women because I believe women, regardless of their relationship status, 
age, socioeconomic status should take a more active role in personal finance. So that's another reason why I broke it down. I'm passionate about making personal finance accessible and relatable. Well, I, I mean, I know you you are a champion of, of women in finance and, uh, you know, you even won some awards for, for what you've, what you've done uh, for women. So can you tell me a little bit about how you've championed women in finance over the, over the years and how that kind of related to this, this initiative? Well, sure. I think that I focus internally and externally. Internally means for women who are already in the profession or wanting to join the profession, I really take the opportunity to share with them my experience. This is a profession that is based on relationships. And I'm very clear, it's not that men are not good at relationships. That's not what I'm saying. Women are very good connectors and collaborators, and there are amazing opportunities uh, for women in this profession. Then I focus um, externally, meaning clients, consumers, you know, creating a judgment-free zone for people to ask questions. All too often, people are scared to ask questions, particularly women. And if they ask a lot of questions, um, sometimes they feel um, they're being judged. So mm -hmm. just because you tell a woman to save more for time and she asks questions, it doesn't mean she may not want to save more. She would want to know, okay, I know you're telling me to, I got a pay increase and you want me to increase my 401k contribution, but I'm asking why not why I should do this. Why and how does this affect the other areas of my financial life? Yes, I'm going to have more for retirement, but what about my cash flow? What about taxes? Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to take this opportunity to make personal finance more relatable and accessible to help women flex their financial muscle. Well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And, and, um, and you know, like I said, I can't pretend that I haven't profited from the bias that has, you know, given more voice to men over the years, at least in the past, than to women. And so I, I, I think it's wonderful that you're, you know, an advocate and you're, you're speaking to them. Can you tell me a little bit about how you became a financial planner and what, you know, what, are, what were the challenges you had to overcome to, to become really one of the, one of the big ones? Oh my goodness. Well, thank you. I think uh, that I was always destined to be a planner. However, growing up, I was not aware of the separate and distinct profession of financial planning. I studied East Asian literature and finance undergrad. So I actually wasn't intimidated by math and numbers. I really enjoy numbers. I love like solving problems. Um, I don't view them as problems. I view them as challenges. And so I studied um, finance and my first job was writing a newsletter at a Japanese securities firm. And uh, writing these like summaries. So I had to know accounting and finance. And I and then I had to write these summaries. I felt a little bit disconnected. I had, I really didn't interact with the clients. And at that time, I was like, wow, what can I do to be able to address the wealth gap that, that we're having? This is a while ago, but it still persists. And I said, I can take these concepts I learned in corporate finance and apply them to individuals and families. A balance sheet is really a net worth statement, a statement of cash flows. That is a budget. And so what I did, I am definitely a planner. Um, I saved all my maternity leave um, and I did not cash it in until the following year. And I used that time to study for the series seven, 63, 65 in life and health. 
And I passed all four tests in a little less than two months with a three-year-old and a six-month-old. So wow. I would say I am very determined. I'm very resilient. I might not be the best salesperson, but w- what I lack in salesmanship, I make for make up for in like um, determination and grit and attention to detail. It's no secret. I, I mean, I wrote about you in my book because, you know, when I met you, I, I was so taken by the fact that, you know, here is somebody that really was not about selling a product or trying to build a business. It was re- you were really about helping your clients solve their problems and navigate through the, through the world of money. And I think I put you in my chapter on how to make sure that the help you get is help that is provided that is 100% on your side. And it seems like that's been your philosophy all along is to make sure you are 100% on the side of your clients. Absolutely. I'm an advocate for my clients. I'm a champion. I'm a cheerleader. I'm a coach. But most importantly, I'm an advocate. Um, I want to make sure. And and of course, there are biases. And it's important to just explain it to clients in ways that make sense. So for example, if you see that someone does not have enough life insurance, I do have my life insurance license. I tell them that, yes, I can sell life insurance. If I sell you life insurance, I will receive commission, but I don't mark it up. If you want to go online and get it, that's great. If you want to buy it from me, that's fine too. I don't care where you get your insurance, but you have a wife and two kids and a big mortgage and $50,000 of group term is not going to cut it. They appreciate that level of candor. So I think what's really important is sometimes we have to be able to tell clients the things they need to hear but may not want to hear. And I think that's where um, I've been able to excel. People know that I genuinely care. Like like I said, I was like, I don't care what you get insurance, but 50,000 is going to cut it. And many times the spouse uh, will say, oh my gosh, I'm really glad that you brought this up. Like, because I do it in a way where I'm not talking down to people. I'm not talking over people. I'm just saying, hey, you Here's what you told me. This is based on your goals and objectives. I'm not telling you how much to buy. I'm just saying that based on the data that you presented, that there is a shortfall. So that shortfall could be insurance. It could be for retirement. It could be for education. We don't need to address 100% of that shortfall today, but you hired me to develop a financial plan to help you reach your goals. And with that in mind, where do you want to get started? How do you suggest we proceed? And so I, it is all about them. It's all about them. But, you know, you you have a business, right? I mean, you have a firm and, you know, so many of those in the financial services industry are all, you know, they're trying to build their business as well. And, and, and there's all kinds of revenue streams, whether they're from commissions or fees or, or uh, referrals or, or and, you know, all kinds of different ways that money comes in. How do you balance those revenue streams? And what is your business model to allow you to continue to be so much an advocate for your clients? So this may sound a little bit naive, but I believe it in my heart. When I entered the business with a three-year-old and a six-month-old, I didn't really have a natural market. Believe it or not, I built my business. I can't believe I'm saying this, but by making outbound calls, I was actually pretty good on the phone. Like, my first year acquired 33 clients. 31 were from strangers. 32 was my dad. 33 was a girlfriend. 
So my philosophy is um, be respectful, listen. If someone says it's not a good time, then respect that, follow up, um, and let people know that you, instead of saying, oh my goodness, I need to make a sale, you have to change your mindset. I was like, you know what? Let these people see how much planning can help them and how I can help them. And if I'm not the right person, I hope that they had a positive experience, not about being a people pleaser. I hope they had a positive experience in meeting with me, understanding how planning can help them. And if the time isn't right or I'm not the right planner for them, I'm okay with that. And I'll tell you, Pete, that that has served me really well. It's really about putting a lot of good energy in the universe, um, doing right by people, and it will come back to benefit. You, you have to have a long-term perspective. And when you put people first, um, everything else follows. Well, and, and, and also, um, yes, and also, I, I notice with you, there's complete transparency. I mean, if there's no hidden commissions, there's no, you know, no secret, secret deals. I mean, I, I would imagine that when you're talking to clients, they know what they're investing in, what they're, what the choices they're made and whether, whether or not and how you, you're going to get, make some money on it. Is that, is that, would you say that transparency is one of the keys to your business model? I'd say transparency. I'd also say empathy. Empathy too. Like you could be really transparent with fees, but if people don't think you care about them, it doesn't matter. I would say they're both important. People know that, yes, you, you want to have experience and be ethical and competent, but at the end of the day, people will do business with those they like and trust. And if they know that you care about them, you know, they feel more comfortable. Money is a very sensitive topic. Uh, it, it it brings a variety of emotions. So anything you can do to build trust and, and lead with empathy is going to be well received. Right. One of the things that, that really I was thrilled to hear is that you're part of the CFP board. Isn't that right? I mean, you're you're now helping to drive how the profession actually does its thing. I mean, can you tell us a little bit about um, your your work on the board? So I was elected to the Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards, CFP board, uh, beginning uh, January 1st, 2023. And our job as board members is to be strategic. We are governing, not managing to ensure that um, CFP board can realize its mission of expanding competent ethical advice to the American public, as well as promoting the benefits of financial planning as a career. So it's promoting as a career, but so does the- It's does both. The... So it's both. Yes, it's consumers um, who will want to engage with the planner, but it's also to encourage people to join the profession. So the board has some kind of oversight on to ha over how CFPs do their job and whether they're ethical and model themselves as, as, as you do, or is that not part of their purview? No, sure. So the board is strategic um, and there are directors, but then uh, 
on CFP board, there's also working groups. So there's going to be a working group that will talk more and delve into practice standards. But yes, our overarching responsibility is to make sure that we protect the integrity of the marks. But then there's working groups that um, make sure that when they're uh, evaluating processes and refining processes, they're doing so with uh, sensitivity to business model, compensation model, as well as the clients they serve. And and, and what about education too? Don't, doesn't the CFP board get involved in making sure that CFPs are well educated and up on, on all that they need to, to do to do their job? Absolutely. So in order for people to use CFP marks uh, initially to be granted CFP certification, uh, planners need to satisfy the education components. Um, they also must pass the examination, have experience and ethics. These are what we call the four E's. Remember, I threw a fifth E there, which is ethics. That's not required by CFP board, uh, but the fifth E is uh, empathy. Um but the CFP board requires the other four E's. Then we talk about education. Once you pass the certification exam, you can't say, oh, I'm done. Um, you have to make sure that you are satisfying your continuing education. And that is 30 credits every two years, two of which are ethics. So yes, CFP board, to answer your question, does oversee education to ensure that people who are using those marks um, do so with integrity and uphold um, the standard of excellence. So, so you're not you're not just being an advocate for your clients. You're being an advocate for the profession, which is which is wonderful because I think these days trust in helping in solving problems is is so important. And and it seems like you're you're adding trust to the whole system, which is which is a rare commodity these days. So thank you for that. I wanted to go back a little bit. We talked about your new book, but this is not your first book. I mean, you wrote a book, I don't know when, when your first book came out, but it was called uh, Wealth Management Rules, if I, if I recall. And uh, I think you had 12 principles there to guide, guide you in, in, in managing. And uh, one of the ones that I really liked was um, to think about what you learned from your parents in, uh, around money. Um, what did you learn from your parents and was it good? And are, do people get good advice from their parents? Or what, how has that parental advice manifested in your experience with those that you work with? Well, I would say, if I, I can say that I do believe I got good advice from both of my parents. Uh, my mommy was a stay-at-home parent for a long time. Um, I got very good advice from both parents. And I respect my dad so much because my dad, a lot of people think that you should just buy life insurance on the person who is working outside of the home. My dad bought whole life insurance on my mom. And I think that's really important because um, this is another story I got from my parents. When I was 10 years old, my mom's brother's wife, so my aunt, passed away. They had four children. And my uncle, that's my mom's brother, asked my dad, Paul, can you loan me money? My dad said, no. Now, I don't want you to think my dad was a jerk. My dad said, no, I'm not going to loan you money. I will pay for the funeral. I'll pay for the funeral because you should not have to 
mourn the loss of the mother of your four children and experienced financial distress at the same time. I was 10 years old. And what that taught me is planning. You know, my family always took the time to help others. And my dad didn't like judge, why didn't you get life insurance? But it was that time when I was like, wow, you know, the fact that my dad was able to help my uncle during a very difficult time gave me a tremendous sense of pride. And from that example, I'm telling you, I do believe I think I was destined to be a planner because every time my dad went on a business trip, I'm the eldest of three girls. And my dad said to me, you know, if anything happens to daddy, you got to take care of your mom and two sisters. Like, and people say, oh my God, that's horrible. That's cruel to do it to a 10 year old. I mean, I admit I was a little bit young, but like, I didn't know any better. And my dad going through that exercise was, it wasn't cruel. It was his way of demonstrating and showing love that, hey, if anything bad thing happens, here's the safe, you need to know the combination, here's the life insurance policy. So um, we talked about insurance. And my parents also said that, you know, the reason why my mom was able to um, be a stay at home parent is because they lived within their means. Um, so that was many times, I think we think these are the new rules about money, but the new rules are tried and true, uh, mm -hmm. old rules. It's retro. Right, right. I mean, I my, my dad used to say, you know, hope for the best, but expect the worst, which I guess is why I became an actuary. But hearing that story says to me, we don't learn from our parents just by what they tell us, but by watching what they do. But it's not always the best of lessons or not, not the best of lessons. It's not always, they don't always set good examples and have, and is that part of what you were getting at in your first book when you were talking about assess what, what you learn from your parents and recognize that maybe that was in the past and this is a new world or was it something different? A lot of good things from my parents. I think one thing that maybe I might be, be doing differently and they might think I'm a little bit of a rebel is, you know, in previous generations, you would stay at one place and do one thing. Sometimes I think that I caused a lot of stress to my dad. I didn't do anything bad, but, you know, I decided to you know, leave a job and then start my own firm while I had like, you know, three kids at this time. That was a little bit risky. So we can learn a lot from our elders. Um, take it all in, but don't feel like you have to do everything they say, because sometimes we need to understand that if we cannot change the situation, then we might need to leave the situation. So that's one of the reasons why I started my own firm. I truly believe financial planning transforms lives. I didn't want to be in a situation where, you know, I might have to uh, recommend proprietary products or I can only receive compensation for selling something. Mm -hmm. I, it's not that where I worked was bad or horrible. It's just I wanted to do more things to be able to um, serve my clients and be a champion for financial planning. The other thing about, and I, I get this when I talk to young kids all the time, is that it's a different world. And uh, we don't, we only have a few minutes left, but can you talk a little bit about how you are viewing this current, very tumultuous, maybe turbulent environment and how do you help your clients through the turbulence and maybe it's different than it was many years ago maybe it's maybe it's not 
Of course, I do believe in financial planning. I also think that financial planning is focusing on the financial picture, the assets, the liabilities, the income expenses. But we also need to uh, help our clients manage human capital. So sometimes that might mean we have to um, help our clients see that, hey, it's okay for them to step back from where they are to move forward. So that's how I've been helping clients. I've also been helping clients um, negotiate better pay, bonus, compensation, ability to work virtually. I know that right now everyone is working virtually, but we started this practice in 2017. So really, if clients do have to work longer, you know, I've been encouraging them, hey, I know you want to retire when you're 62. You can, but you know, you might not have as much flexibility. I'm not saying you have to work at 70, but 62, 65, then take your vacation. So helping clients like uh, understand the importance of managing human capital, uh, understanding, helping clients understand, you know, you look at my mantra that their health is really important and not to feel bad about, you know, doing things that they enjoy. Well, we're just about out of time. And I just wanted to know what's next. What's next for you? What's next? Um, another book um, and continuing to champion financial planning. Well, that's great. That's great. And and so the two books are Diary of a CFP Pro, which has just come out, and Wealth Management Rules. Rita, thank you so much for being on the show and best of luck. And um, I can't wait for this third book to come out and we'll have you back. Well, thank you so much. Thank you both. This is so much fun. And I must disclose uh, that Incandescent is the proud publisher of both of Rita's books. So we are thrilled to roll out Diary of a CFP Pro this April for Financial Planning Month, right? So we're so excited about that. And we are so thrilled to also continue to sell wealth management rules. So Pete, thank you so much for hosting this beautiful show, Money Mountaineering with Peter Newworth. And of course, tune in every Friday at 5 p.m., for Margaritas with Margarita Chang, CFP Pro. I'm Hope Katz Gibbs of Incandescent. Thank you all for listening, and we will bring more fascinating financial advice to you in the coming months. Take good care.